And we are live from the empire of lies. And we are shacking up the lies in the empire continually. With a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. We are joined by our producer Rod. How you doing, Rod? I'm doing well, Lee. How about yourself? How you feeling? Well, I'm, I'm fine. You know that that Philly, they've caught a suspect in the terror incident yesterday in New York, and I say that we were debating what what to call it, but we now have established that it can be called a terror incident since there are federal charges against Frank James, the person they've arrested. Did you notice the Philly connection, Rod from Philly, to the terror suspect, Frank James? Yeah, immediately they started, uh, well, not immediately, but not too soon after they found out that, or they suspected it was Frank James, they found out that the U-Haul he he, uh, rented was from Philadelphia, rented in Philadelphia. That's right, and he has a he has addresses in Philadelphia and Milwaukee, although he lives in the village in New York. And he was arrested at St. Mark's Place, which is a well-known street in the village. But he was arrested outside of McDonald's, some some, some at McDonald's, and they swooped in and captured him. But we are going to help authorities today and the media on this very show. We have the clip, right, Rod? Yeah, we're, we're going to have it in the, probably the second hour. Okay, because what the what I'm hearing when I listen to the news, well, I'll tell you after the boom. Let's talk about who's on the show today. Todd Benjamin, we've had on the show before from the Center for Immigration Studies. He's going to be talking about the big news. The, the, the terror buses have arrived in D.C. from Texas, chock full of illegal aliens who are greeted at the bus as they dropped them off in D.C. by their family. Did you hear that? I saw they were greeted, but I didn't know, I didn't know it was actually family members. That's uh, kind of surprising. It was, so apparently the illegal aliens on the bus called ahead and said, you know, I'm, I'm getting sent into D.C. And come, and there were already some people. I wonder if your family members were upset that they didn't get a free charter bus to DC. They may have had to get there hitchhiking or some other way. But anyway, we'll have Todd Benson talking about that and the Southern Truck Convoy, kind of, sort of. They're closing down bridges. Truckers are closing down bridges at the Mexican border. This is similar to when the truckers were closing down bridges in the Canadian border, except totally different, because the motive of the bridge closures is different, right? Is yeah, no, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is politically uh, from Texas is actually doing this and uh, making, making Mexico make a move to uh, help with immigration. And some of, some of what the mainstream media is reporting is that the truckers are shutting down the bridges in protest to what Go- Governor Greg Abbott is doing, which is he's slowing down 
the inspections, he's requiring that each truck be inspected, and the inspections take about 20 minutes. And so they're reporting that the truckers are shutting down the bridges to show Greg Abbott. So that's different, you know, I would say the diametric opposite of what the truckers were doing in Canada. But Todd Benjamin will be on talking about that. Then in the second hour, we have Tom Nichols, a favorite guest of ours, talking about why people are fleeing blue cities. And we'll talk about that. Rod, do me a favor. You you do the honors. Say the name of the show. You are listening to The Backstory. You don't get to do that enough. I get, let everyone else have the fun, but I decide to spread it around. So let me say something. The mainstream media seems baffled as to, and the authorities too. Do you know what they're saying about this, uh, Frank James, the gunman and smokeman? I, I don't know what to call them, the arsonist, the person who lit up fireworks and stuff like that. In the subway. Well, he's, a domestic, he's a domestic terrorist. I mean, he's a domestic terrorist. Except every media report I heard this morning is baffled by his motive. And they all say it. They say authorities have no idea what his motive is. Now, Rod, do you have any idea what his motive might be? I'll actually say that, I'll actually put it as this way, that the media is to blame because uh, the clip that we're going to play, Frank James is talking about how he keeps hearing about World War Three, World War Three, the end of the world. So I'm going to put the blame on the media. Yeah, but the the point is, is there are numerous statements this guy's made, including we're going to have an audio clip of it uh, on social media and in videos where he talks about things. I think it's safe to say we have a clue what the motive is. This is not that a girl broke up with him and he was mad about that and he's getting revenge on her on the subway. You know, it's not directed at one person. It's general anger. And they charged him with a terroristic act. Now, here's what I haven't seen from the feds. The fe- they've charged him with a federal crime in regards to what he did yesterday. The federal crime is committing a terroristic act on public transportation. But do you know what I've not heard? Any talk about the feds charging with a hate crime. Do you think there might be some reason to think, let me put it like this. Do we have any evidence so far in his statements that there might be a racial motivation behind is anger. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. And it's going to be in the clip we play. He kind of he kind of uh, covers that. And like I said, the World War Three thing. He talks about uh, population control and how they're trying to control the population, uh, control black the population of black people, and how they're doing that, and you know how he's uh, cautious of that. Yeah, and 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 so they're baffled by it. They don't know why, but. I think it's safe to say that it is, well, it is safe to say because 
that this is a federal charge of terrorism, that it is terrorism. It seemed like it yesterday, but we didn't have a suspect. And therefore, all I could say yesterday was this act. You know what I'm saying? When when people are shot and it's horrible, and I'm not saying it's good, but if you hear a bunch of people are shot in an office, what do you suspect? And you don't know anything else. But in an office, I suspect it's a disgruntled ex-worker or the guy's wife works there. You know what I'm saying? Certain crimes. Yeah, no. Yes, yeah. that that would that, that would be something like a, uh, that would lead to that. But uh, a subway car, that's, you know, you'd have to investigate that. And as all we've already seen through this guy's videos, self his self videos, is only him in the recording. You know, he's a lot. He's had a lot to say. He's, uh, racial things. Uh, like I said, also things he's hearing in the media about nuclear war. This make this kind of making him paranoid as well. So. Now, thank God Joe Biden is camping down foolish rhetoric. No, wait. He's in charge of the foolish rhetoric. Yesterday, Joe Biden declared, and he's repeated it, that the situation with the war in Ukraine is genocide. Genocide, he says. Now, I think there may be eventually, we'll see how countries like Israel respond to that. They don't like overusing the term genocide. And that's clearly what he's doing. There is no ethnic motivation behind what Russia is doing. Russia is responding to an ethnic motivation. Now, you heard that, right, Rod? It made, made, made big headlines yesterday. Yeah, he, he, put the, he put that statement out there with absolutely zero evidence behind it. Right. And he said that there's mounting evidence. Now, uh, let me point out, I checked before the show. I have not found, back on the 4th, Buka, when the accusations by that first came out by the Ukrainians. I re re Reuters, the news bureau, and the Pentagon, the war bureau, both reported they could not independently verify the claims by the Ukrainian authorities that Russia was behind these atrocities in Bukha. And as far as I know, because I checked right beforehand, there's no update on that. There's not. The Pentagon didn't come out yesterday morning and say, well, OK, we found the independent confirmation of it. Therefore. There's not not only is there not mounting evidence. There's not evidence. But there I. I think what they mean by mounting evidence is repeated claims. Now, have you seen any mounting evidence of independent confirmation of the atrocities in Boca? 
No, and what I was I was actually about to ask you, Lee, is aren't they? Doesn't it seem like they're about to do the same thing with this with this uh, Syria chemical attack? They're just you know once the evidence turns the other way and shows that this was staged and that this is a lie, they're just going to just run from it and try to cut you know never try to address it. It seems that that's what they're trying to do, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so just keep repeating it, and so it may seem if you're listening with half your brain, it may seem like mounting evidence because you've been hearing about it in headlines for days. So you may think they've got more evidence, but they don't, they're just repeating it. Now I've said before, and even people who I respect and like, like Scott Ritter has said, I, I think he said it on this show, Russia is losing the information war. And I don't agree. And I made this point earlier in the week. Let me tell you, I don't consider lying repeatedly to a media. I'll put it like this. What are they impressed that they haven't? Russia has not. Let me let me let me ask this a different way. Let me me phrase this a different way, Rod. Do you think there's any frickin' thing in the world Russia could say that's going to make the media, that's going to make the pundits at CNN, for instance, say, oh, oops, we were completely wrong. We realize that Russia's right about the Nazis. We've looked into the history. We've been getting the story totally wrong. We would like to apologize for our errors, is there any possibility, any 0.001%, any possibility that that's going to happen? No, and um, I, I I understand where where people like Scott Ritter are coming from because the information war is fast. It's, it needs to it needs to keep flowing, uh, and it keeps keep reloading and keep shooting out uh, falsehoods and false narratives. And Russia seems to be doing kind of slow and steady. Look at look just look at their um, you know Tarif calls in and talks about look at the mounting evidence with their bio labs. I mean they they release documents uh, pretty much in PDF form for everybody to see. Obviously, our media and the Western media don't cover it, but that's, you know, they're releasing documents and our media is over here just uh, releasing footage that's sent to them from people in Ukraine that want to emotional reaction. So I I see where people like Scott are are coming from about the information war, but the way Russia's going about it is slow and steady and releasing factual things and uh, documents and things that we can, anybody can check and see and verify. Well, and... I see. I I actually disagree with the point that he's making. I understand why he's making it, but I do not judge the information war by how fast you can spit out lies. Does that make sense? Like if you're scoring based on, oh look, the West is putting out a bunch of lies. And they're putting them out very quickly and they're stacking up the lies and they're getting the media to go along with their lies and they're getting their lies put forth on the Grammys, for instance, where Zelensky was. Uh, How is that 
See, that's not the information war. That's a lie war. And I, I don't consider victory. Uh, and I consider the victory in, in the information war is getting the story right, getting releasing correct information. I consider it saying, like if the, you know, if the U.S. government said, we're going to wait for evidence, I wouldn't consider that a loss in the information war. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. And you don't hear things like that from from the U.S. government or our media that they're going to wait for evidence. Usually they just go with uh, this state official, anonymous state official said, so we must take it as fact. And and there's a problem with, and here's the other thing, the media buying into these lies. I noticed this on the listening to the news prepping for the show today. There's a way that they lie the specific technique that they use where they'll say they don't come out and say that there's proof of the war crimes. They just say there's many countries are saying that there's war crimes. Or then they'll point to the OSCE and said there is mounting evidence but they never name the mounting evidence. Or they'll say, for instance, they've located mass graves in Buka. Now, that in and of itself doesn't prove anything. And what they're lying about is when they talk about the Russian position, they lie about that too. So for instance, on Buka, they're saying, well, the Kremlin's saying that is fake and a hoax. And that's not fully accurate. Russia's position is not, as far as I can tell. I've never seen this. Russia's position is not that people did not die in Buka. Is it, Rod? No, no, I've never heard them say that either. Right. But they did say it was a hoax. What they said is there are bodies there. For instance, bodies that were tied up, found shot to death, and then tied up with the white armbands. Remember that? They're not saying no one died. They're saying what the hoax part is, is blaming Russia. But the reason the media is saying, Putin's saying this is a hoax, He's saying it's fake. It's because they're acting like he's denying the bodies. You see? So they're acting like he's denying that they're bodies. And that, to even a casual listener, is obviously not true. If Russia's position were that there were no bodies, I would question that. I'd go, well, that's obviously BS. They're misstating Russia's statement. Russia's statement is that there are bodies and that it's the Ukrainians who did it. And furthermore, 
when I look at other stories, the same media that's lying about Buka never reported the Ukrainian atrocities, the numerous cases of Ukrainian atrocities. And we've talked about it. You said the other day, you think you've seen 50 clips, right? Around 50 posted by Ukrainians of them shooting Russian soldiers in the kneecaps, for instance. And yeah, or, or they're tied up to the poles, taped, right. taped up, and they're being whipped and whatnot. Right. And have you seen one example? I, and I really mean this. Let me have it, if there's an example out there, of a Russian military unit, Russian soldiers posting, we've got this Ukrainian and we're torturing him. Have there been any videos like that that have been out there? Not that I've seen. I'm not saying that they're not out there, but um, it would have gone viral, whether it be on Twitter or Telegram. And um, I haven't seen it personally. So, and all of our guests that we've had on, we've, I think you've asked them as well, and they haven't been able to uh, point one out as well either. Right. I, I haven't seen one. So therefore, we we know that the Ukrainians have posted videos because they posted it where they're torturing and killing people, including civilians. I'll give you another example. Have you seen the media talk about all the politicians? Have they spent much time going over the politicians who've been assassinated? Or did they drop that story about the negotiator who was killed by the Ukrainians? That was no, briefly. They, yeah, go ahead, yeah, Rob. No, they they quickly just wanted to get away from that as as fast as possible because it would it would it would make the Ukrainians or the Ukrainian military look bad because that's who the, who are guilty of it. So they immediately they immediately run away from any story that they know if people just poke at it a little bit, will fall apart. The house of cards will fall apart, and they could see that all right, we're being lied to here. And that to me is not winning the information war. That, to me, is just ignoring facts. Sharif, we'll get to you in one second at 202-521-1320. But uh, we talked yesterday about uh, Medvedchuk, the Ukrainian politician who's featured in the film Revealing Ukraine, directed by Igor Robotnik, who's been a guest many times on the show, and executive producer Oliver Stone. Now, did you see Zelensky himself posted a picture of Medvedchuk, who's his political opponent? He was the head of a political party. And Zelensky posted a photo of him where he looks awful. He looks like he's been tortured. Did you see that photo, Rod? Yeah, he's in handcuffs, his hair's all disheveled, and Zelensky put out the uh, the quote, let this be an example for you, talking to uh, Russia's sympathizers and, uh, and soldiers as well. Now, that, to me, is a war crime. And aside from everything, you don't do that to your political opponents. That's a good principle for any 
democracy. And we're constantly told Ukraine's a shining example of democracy. I would say imprisoning your political opponents at all. And then imagine if Putin did that. Imagine if Putin said, let this be a lesson to you. And and it's disgusting. We'll talk more about that later, but I want to get to calls. 202-521-1320. Tarif, what is on your mind? Thank you for taking my call, Lee. How y'all doing? First, I'd like to say free Jonah signs. And also, Scott Riller, Scott Riller, um, Pepe Escobar uh, is on Telegram a ho- with a host of other little sites such as Russia, Russians with Attitude and ASB Military News on, te- on Telegram as well. A lot of people start me. And, and, and I should point out, you're mentioning all, all people who were banned from Twitter. Pepe Escobar was banned from Twitter. He was suspended. Scott Ritter, suspended. Russians with Attitude, a fun site. A lot of useful info. Suspended. And ASB Military, one of the best information sites in the war. Suspended from Twitter, right, Tarif? Exactly. They got other sites that I'm following, like Ukraine Maps. You know, you got um, Anna I'm following, too. That's where I get my information for. Um, we like the best information dealing with um, what's going on overseas. Um, I'm gonna get straight to my, uh, my my comments. I have three comments. First, I'd like to say, okay, um, Joe, um, Joe Biden by him going to more with ethanol dealing with the corn, putting more fuel, putting he want the oil refiners to put more corn in the fuel. But that, what I found out when I was listening to different analysts. And it makes sense because I remember I read a book some years ago on fine-tuning engines. The more alcohol you put with—I uh, mean, alcohol itself, is, is caution is in it, right? It can mess up your valves, I mean, your, your gases, your heads, your seals, things of that nature, in your lines dealing with your engine, things of that nature. But by, by putting more of a blend of alcohol with the fuel, with gasoline— you're gonna, you're gonna start. People gonna start having a problem with the vehicles in the future because these cars are already rated for zero from zero to ten percent of uh, of alcohol already, ethanol from corn already. Once you go above that, God knows what's gonna happen. Then, and then on top of that, the price of fuel is gonna go up. Um, okay, my other comment <clears throat> is dealing with the um, Ukraine. Okay, they're having seven times. Attempts in Russia, where um, the Ukrainians trying to run operations in Russia, are blowing up things, or shooting out, shooting at the border guards and shelling Russia. The Russians came out with a statement today saying, if we're going to continue happening, they're going to start shelling, they're going to start hitting to uh, decision-making centers in Kyiv and also throughout um, Ukraine, which they never ha- um, done before, but they're going to start doing it since. The Ukrainians is running their terrorist operations on the um on the grounds again, and also Joe Biden is uh, basically he focusing so much on the war without focusing on us. You know, a lot of things is going to um hell <laughs> here in the United States and Russia. Blacklisted three hundred ninety eight congressmen. Thank you for taking my call. Well, Tarif, I think it's a good point, and but and I'll talk about this at the top of the hour. Joe Biden is now tying 
he he did a tweet yesterday about the Putin price hike and blaming high prices on the Putin price hike. Rod, do I remember incorrectly? As you know, I had a stroke, so it's possible. Before the invasion started, we're not we talking about a high on inflation, like at, at that point, a 30 year high on inflation before the war. Was I remembering that wrong? No, we had people like Mark Frost and just reinforcing the fact that inflation had been going on way well years before that. And it was at a just when the Biden administration started, it made it worse. So what Biden's trying to do is he's trying to blame Putin for the high prices, even though they existed before the invasion. It's disgusting. And I'll talk more about it later. Now, let's go to 202-521-1320, number if you want to be part of the show. Ingrid in D.C., go ahead. Oh, thanks, Lee. Just quickly to add on to Therese, if I remember correctly, ethanol is kind of a scam in the first place in that it's only because of subsidies that it's it's not actually uh, takes more fuel to make ethanol than it that it actually contributes. But anyway, on the information war, I think what the the Western press is doing is digging themselves in a very deep hole because it will be all that more embarrassing when it when the facts come out on the ground that prove what they're saying is is wrong, which is starting now with uh, like this English person, English man who was part of the Ukrainian Marines who has, tweets have come out now that he's surrendered. They were out of food and ammunition and all that. What, what I really want to say, Lee, is I think you deserve a lot of recognition for your work on this subject over many, many years. When I first uh, heard of you, I think it was in 2015, and if I'm not mistaken, Ukraine had never been on your radar before then, but you got interested in this because of the Trump Tower, and you started to investigate CrowdStrike. And then you really went into this as a true journalist. And now, like any time, and I think Garland Nixon is now one of the, the best people in covering this story. But every time I hear him mention Alexander Chalupa, I, I just smile because I think, well, that goes back to all the depth of research that you have done and so how he knows this story so well. So thank you. Well, no, and I've seen, I've seen Garland make some very he, what he's doing on Twitter, he's made a number of very funny tweets in the form of fake breaking news alerts that are also very telling about the story. And he's getting a lot of traction in those tweets. And so I'm glad he's covering it. And thank you. It's very nice to say. But I have been obsessed with the Ukraine side of things. And that's why very quickly I said, and I still don't regret saying I stand with Russia on this story. And when stories like the atrocity in Bucha come out, I don't find Ukraine has not made any compelling case. And I think that Ukraine is behind the atrocity in Bucha. And I think there's plenty of proof for it. So that's why I don't regret it at all. But very nice to say, Ingrid. Let's take a short break. When we come back, 
Todd Benjamin from the Center for Immigration Studies, the number one anti-immigration think tank, I dare say, in the world. Coming up next, we'll find out what's going on at the border, the southern border, on the backstory. Backstory in DC on the radio 105.5 FM AM 1390 and all over the damn internet. Joining us right now from the Center for Immigration Studies, Todd Benzman. Todd, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on because things are uh, there's a lot of news at the southern border right now between this truck shutdown of bridges all across the border. And I, but let's, let's talk about the buses first. We had Mark Corian on last week and I asked him whether the move by Texas governor, Greg Abbott to send charter buses with the illegal immigrants and to offer to send them to DC, Washington, uh, was a stunt. And Mark said, yes, it's obviously a stunt, but stunts are are good sometimes. And I agree with that. I think it's a very clever stunt. Stunt in the fact, he, what is it he's doing is he's showing the absurdity of the policy and making the people in Washington who are behind this policy suffer for it. And I think... Now, now, the buses started showing up in D.C. The first buses sent by Texas Governor, Governor Greg Abbott with the illegal immigrants, they started showing up in D.C., correct? Yeah, that's right. Today, the first bus showed up, and I think it had about 19 migrants aboard. I think uh, one of those buses would normally carry at least 100. So... <clears throat> you know, they're showing that they can't really fill these up. And the reason is because it's it's not like it was advertised, which is we're going to round up all these migrants coming out of the river and drop them off in D.C. That's not that's not what happens. Uh, th- these are voluntary riders. So they'll ask for migrants who have already been cleared by Border Patrol to be in the United States. And then, you know, we're saying who would like to go to D.C.? And they had about 19 takers on that first bus. <clears throat> the problem is that that's not rounding up migrants and shipping them to D.C. That's just sort of, in my view, uh, you know, providing kind of like a maybe a tourist trip or something or um, a, pl- a, a trip to a spot on the East Coast where they can easily get a uh, transit to where they're actually going. But there's not very many of them. And so it really is just very stunt-like. Uh, I, and I, I'm not very impressed by the, the whole bus thing. I, I wasn't from the very beginning. 
uh, with stunts like that. Now, which, one of the things I found interesting was that none of the riders on the bus were from Mexico. This first load of people, they were people from Nicaragua, they're people from Venezuela, but there was no one from Mexico. Have you heard that? Well, I did hear the, I, I did know about the makeup, uh, but that's pretty typical of the makeup uh, uh, of people that are coming over the border these days. Uh, not, I, I want to say maybe 40% uh, are now from countries other than Central America and other than Mexico. They're coming from 150 different countries around the world, uh, including the Middle East and pretty much every country in Africa and Southeast Asia, South Asia, uh, you know, really from all over the world. We're, we've got, you know, 1,500 Ukrainians down there at the border. We've got lots of Russians in there now. So, I mean, we've, I mean, our border is open to the entire world, <clears throat> and that would be reflected in the uh, buses that ended up in D.C. Uh, those people are going to be the people that are coming to live here more or less permanently, you know, Venezuelans, uh, Nicaraguans, they're not going home. Mexicans. No, no, I was just saying, I was saying to Rod that they were greeted at the D.C. where they were dropped off. I forget where it was, Louisiana, and I forget the state. But uh, the the people who were on the bus who were here legally were greeted by their families, members, I don't know, maybe cousins, I don't know who it was, but family members. And that means that the family members are probably here legally too. And it makes sense that there are people who chose to go to DC because they were probably gonna come here anyway, eventually, by, by here I mean DC. Uh, because their family's there. Do, do people tend to go, you know, different places, like one family member gets a foothold and then other family members, how does that work? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, yeah, that's how it works. Uh, you, most of the migrants that are coming over the border, uh, yeah, they have people in the U.S., who have actually lent them the money for the smuggling fees to get them here. So they heard the, the borders were open, that they were taking them, they were bringing them in. Everybody was getting in. And so uh, on that strength of that alone, they are willing to pay the smugglers. You know, it could be $10,000. And uh, migrants, when they get into the country, tend to go where their relatives are or where friends are, where they can get a job and help them get resettled and, and all that. Now, let me ask you a question about immigration policy in the U.S. This news story I was listening to, I think it was on NPR, they were making these, they, they, it was an attempt to make the migrants sympathetic to their listener. And they said they were willing to get jobs. They said they'd be willing to do anything whether it's working in hotels or cleaning rooms. But do I understand the U.S. has the same policy as lots of countries? Getting across the border is one issue, but working 
is another issue. For instance, I can go to Canada, but just being in Canada doesn't mean I'm allowed to get a job. It's a second set of laws that I'm violating. You're supposed to have a work visa, right? So what I'm getting at here is, aren't they really saying in a roundabout way that people had violated two laws or were willing to? One, the laws that it's illegal to get into the country, and they've already violated that. But second, they're staying their intention to violate work visa rules. Right. Well, the the first thing to understand is that that almost everyone who's crossing the border right now are economic migrants. In other words, they're they're leaving their countries because they can't make as much money as they can in the United States. So they're all coming for a job, but they're applying as though they are political refugees. So they're claiming that they're politicals and uh, getting into the country by asylum fraud. So you missed one there. There's a big asylum, mass asylum fraud happening because when they get into, when they first arrive in the country, in order to get in, they have to tell the Border Patrol and or USCIS, I am a politically persecuted refugee. Uh, I, I was uh, suffering persecution. I'm going to claim asylum. That gets them into the country. That gets them right through. Just saying the words doesn't have to be verified. And then once they are in, they eventually will, some of them will apply for asylum. And it's, there's a five-year backlog. But after six months, you can get uh, work authorization and social security cards and all everything, everything that you need to legally work for the duration of your asylum claim, which will invariably be declined because you are not a political refugee, you're an economic migrant. But that's beside the point because you get all these benefits first before you ever have to uh, get declined by a judge. The second thing is, so there's all kinds of fraud involved in that. The second thing is that, you know, you can work in this country easily in, in the black market, you know, mowing lawns, uh, cleaning houses, just, you know, doing day labor. Uh, that's the point. They want to work and send money home. And there are lots of ways to do that. You can buy, you know, fake IDs and fake social security cards. And <clears throat> there's a whole black market of that stuff that's always been out there, cheap and easy. Uh, and so, yeah, there's a lot of laws that get broken that way. But again, you can legally work if you if you go through your asylum claim uh, and, and just get it filed. You just got to get it filed. And never mind whether you win it or not. If you lose it, you can you can jam that thing up for 10 more years with appeals. So you can just be in the country for years and years as an asylum claimant and work legally. And let me point out that the refugees or immigrants, I, I don't know. I don't know what you call people. I'd like to say illegal immigrants to point out 
just says, but it's unwieldy to say. So the 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 illegal immigrants who come over, you said that they can get fake ID and social security numbers. Let me point out that employers, people who hire people, are more than willing to help you do that. I noticed when I was covering a story up in Twin Falls, Idaho, a few years ago, the dairy industry, someone who's accountant there told me they supply the fake social security numbers and say, okay, you're this name, you're Jose Gonzalez with his number. So the employers actually will supply that. And this is why people are sometimes baffled why Republicans all support this. This is a horrible system that is supported by a bipartisan number of Democrats and Republicans. Republicans enjoy this with cheap, controllable labor, don't they? There's always been uh, an element in both parties that loves, they're hooked on the cheap labor. That's always been there, uh, both parties. So, you know, the Koch brothers are notorious uh, for that uh, over on the right. And, you know, it's it's just one of the uh, natures of the beast, I guess, that, you know, we have huge numbers of illegal immigrants crossing and it drives wages down for black Americans, for example, uh, or, you know, uh, people without college educations, college degrees, uh, kind of lower educated uh, uh, people in the labor market. Uh, this hurts them. It hurts a lot of those people. So while it may be good for corporate America, some in corporate America, uh, there are a whole lot of people that it really harms to have that sort of thing happen. Yeah, and and th- this is why I've discussed this with Mark before, and I know it's from my own research, why old-school Democrats, for instance, Cesar Chavez, was not an advocate of illegal immigration. And that's because it hurts the workers as well. Absolutely. And, and, but you have big Republican, they tend to be Republican, big organizations like the Chamber of Commerce was, is, is pro legal immigration, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I'd have to say so that, uh, you know, there is there is uh, I wouldn't say the whole, the whole Republican Party. I'd say that there would be like, a, you know, elements of it. I think the majority of the Republican Party and the, the, the coalition of people that are in the Republican Party are horrified at what's happening down at the border with, you know, you know, uh, all of these millions of people coming in a very short period of time. It's about to get way worse once they do away with Title 42 It'll be we'll be into uh, numbers that <clears throat> we're already in numbers that we've never seen before, but then just imagine you know orders of you know magnitudes greater than where we are now. Really huge numbers coming, and I can't imagine anybody in any of either party uh, except for the far left of the Democratic Party enjoying that 
that notion. And maybe some on the on the uh, corporate right. Well, and do you think that you're right? I, I remember a few years ago, before Donald Trump was president and before he was running, one of the only politicians who would speak up on illegal immigration was Jeff Sessions when he was a senator from uh, Alabama. And uh, Jeff Sessions was a voice in the wilderness and major Republicans like John McCain and Marco Rubio and Jeff Flake uh, were part of the gang of eight. And at that point, very few Republicans would speak up about it. But post-Trump, especially in the House, you're seeing lots of Republicans speak up. I think this is undoubtedly one of the good benefits of Donald Trump's presidency is do you think he gave he made it okay for Republican politicians to come out and tell the truth about illegal immigration? Do you give Trump credit for that? Yeah, I think what happened was, you know, Trump's victory in 2016 was fueled by the polling or the the sentiment that was nascent throughout the party uh, against illegal immigration, against all of that. I think that when he he tapped into that, he made everybody realize that this was this was a, a, a real sentiment that was widespread and and he showed that it was and he won his first he won his presidency on the basis of it. I mean that was his major campaign was you know build the wall, build a big beautiful wall. We're gonna get gonna deport eleven million illegals. We're going to fix that problem down there under me. And he won on that. So, you know, I mean, that could not have escaped uh, other Republicans campaigning. Right. And I, I think I think that there hasn't been you talked about the nascent support for supporting legal immigration and not illegal immigration. I think that nascent support you indicated it's still it's there amongst the Democrats, but no no Democrat candidate has stood up and said, "I'm in favor of whatever you know Medicare for all, and I'm opposed to illegal immigration." No candidate on the left has done that. Instead, the activists, right? Do you you agree that a lot of grassroots Democrats? are really against illegal immigration, but they have no candidate to support. Right. Well, you're, yeah. So the the thing, where we are now uh, with the Democratic Party is a place, the party has never been in this place in its history, or at least its modern history. Democrats, mainstream, mainline Democrats, have always been immigration enforcement-minded uh, you mentioned Cesar Chavez. He was a little bit of an extreme case. You know, he would put these wines at about 300 thugs that would beat up migrants as they crossed the border. Uh, but, you know, Barbara Jordan, uh, the iconic uh, first uh, black congresswoman, 
from the South elected uh, was an ardent opponent of illegal immigration. Bill Clinton was an ardent opponent, spoke tough. He was positively Trumpian, wrote legislation cracking down on asylum fraud and abuse and criminalized illegal entry. Uh, Barack Obama was tough as nails on most illegal immigration. You know, he he was always, uh, you know, bullied about why aren't you deporting everybody? Why why aren't you ending deportation? They called him the deporter in chief. And he would say things like, it's the law. I have to do this. This is what the law says. You know, he was a lawyer. Joe Biden was the same way. He was right there along. They all signed the 2006 Secure Fence Act uh, that was that funded this the wall that was built just in you know not that long ago. But I think what happened was Donald Trump came along and Trump derangement syndrome infected so many people on the left that they were able to ascend from the dark fringes of the party with their ideas about immigration that had been around for 20, 30 years of no borders, of no enforcement, uh, that all of our enforcement laws are immoral, that there should be no laws and no boundaries at all of any sort. Well, the Democratic Party never countenanced any of that stuff until Donald Trump came along and sort of kind of got them riled up. The Bernie Sanders kind of left, you know, that whole coalition over there. And they gained real power. And when Biden, by the time the Democratic primaries were upon us, remember we had like 10 or 15 different candidates. Every single one of those candidates had an immigration platform that was completely unrecognizable from anything that the Democratic Party had ever had before. Total open borders, abolish ICE, everything. And that is what took that, that those people were given the reins in 2020. And those people are what caused this mass migration crisis immediately. We gave it to them and they did this. Great explanation, Todd. Now, can you, in about 30 seconds, sum up what's going on at the border? I know it's short time, but with the trucks? That's right. Well, uh, Greg Abbott uh, shut down the nation's uh, southern land ports of entry to commerce with uh, these uh, enhanced safety inspections. It would take three troopers and they could shut down Laredo, the busiest port of entry in the country. And he didn't say this, but I believe that this was a a way to force the Mexican governments and the Biden administration to pay attention to, to Texas on this stuff and to clean up the mass migration on that side. Well, that's a great appearance, Todd. We're out of time, unfortunately. Todd Benjamin from Center for Immigration Studies. Thanks so much for your analysis and your factual laying out the story. 
Great job. When we come back, we will take your call, 202-521-1320, as well as Tom Nichols will be our guest in the next hour on The Backstory. It is time for the second hour on a Wednesday edition of the best damn radio show in the world. It's the backstory. Thanks again to Todd Benjamin from the Center for Immigration Studies. Great appearance. And we'll talk about some of this stuff. I'll actually have advice for Democrats. I don't usually give them helpful advice because I don't think it'll listen. But I, I will do it anyway. I will try. I'll try to help them. But coming up to this hour, we've got Tom Nichols talking about why people are leaving blue cities. And we will talk to interpreter producer Rod about more stuff in the headlines coming up on the backstory. You can also call into the show, 202-521-1320. Now, Rod, let me try to give some advice for Democrats that they won't take, and that's fine. But they can't say I never tried. I think there's an opportunity for a sane Democrat. I think there's an opportunity for someone to say, I'll put it like this. They they can re- keep lots of principles that the Democrats have. They can keep single-payer health care. They can keep being in favor of gay rights broadly. They can keep all sorts of things that they're in favor of. Entitlements, social welfare spending. One of the best arguments against illegal immigration is that ready? And I'll go slow in case any Democrats are listening, because this is, I'm going to get into numbers and economics. But Rod, would you agree that entitlements cost money? Single payer health care, it costs money. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, there's, a, there's a cost uh, benefit to everything. Now, I'm not even going to argue. I'm going to say that they they say it's an investment that we can actually cut health care costs with single-payer health care. I'm not going to argue that point. And would you agree that the more entitlements you provide to the more people, the higher the cost? Yeah, I would, I would say that's kind of a basic uh, cla- uh, classical math. Right. Right. It's obvious. So therefore, if you're, let's say, let's say single payer health care. If you're in favor of it, here's the principle. You can't give it to everybody. You can't give it to 
2 million new people if they come across the border. Furthermore, if the United States suddenly had single-payer health care, it would increase, if you think there's a border crisis now, if people coming across the border illegally also get free college tuition or free single-payer health care, that would make it more attractive to come into the United States, right? So when people already say it would the cost would be too high, to offer it as a benefit if you come here illegally would make it more costly. So I'm going to argue that the sane position, the common sense position, is that if you want single-payer health care or free college tuition or any entitlement that you want to give more people, restrict it to American citizens. Yeah. And, and this is a common sense position. I, I'd say on stuff like transgender athletics, it's a common sense position that men are stronger than women. Have you seen, there's an ad, I forget what it's for. I, I don't, it's some product that I'm not interested in. But there's an ad currently running that says, it's hard to be a transgender athlete. Have you seen this ad? Yeah, yeah I have seen that one. Right. Now, I would say, Rod, you do you work out? Yeah, I do. Actually, I do. Okay, so you work out. Would you have to undergo an intense period of working out if you were going to compete against a bunch of women at something like swimming or running or whatever? Would you have to, or or the workout you're doing, like a regular person, is that you have an advantage in being a man. I don't want to insult you, Rod, but I'm going to use that pronoun. Don't you think, I, I don't think it's hard to be a transgender athlete. If you're a man competing against women, that makes it somewhat easier. Would you agree? Yeah, almost. I would say almost all the sports, if you're a man and you're um, uh, identifying as a woman and then competing against women, you would have almost a automatic advantageous uh, benefit. Right. You, you, have, you have multiple benefits there. And in fact, you could probably even find a sports bra that fits you, couldn't you? I don't know much about <laughs> sports bra <Right>. sizes. <laughs> yeah. but, but you could. So let's go 202-521-1320 to the killer of owls, owl killer. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, did you guys happen to hear that French journalist um, that said that the Americans were running the entire war in Ukraine? Well, I've heard those statements, but I think that's I, – I, I think – the U.S. is clearly pushing a war, is clearly behind it. But there are some operational elements that the U.S. is gracious enough to leave to the Nazis. 
So, for instance, when you talk about tactics of war, they leave that to the Nazis. We outsource some of this stuff. And letting them, and the reason I say that is because the Nazis, I don't think, would let anyone denazify them, including the U.S. They want, they, the people who are running the war, the people who bragged on social media about, we like killing. This guy from C-14, we played that clip. We, we didn't play the clip, actually. I would play the clip, except it's a translated clip, and I never think it sounds good. But the guy from C-14, he's up there. You can find it easily. He's bragging about how we like killing, and that's why we were put in charge of this. So I don't think tactically we've we've turned over. We 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 haven't taken away the fun for the Nazis. We like to leave something for them. But what's your what what are you getting at, Al Keller? I may we might be agreeing. Yeah, it's all, it's almost like those uh, the moderate uh, the moderate rebels in Syria that were just happened to be Al Qaeda and ISIS. We outsourcing the uh, the destruction. Um, my, what I really wanted to call on was your last guest was speaking about how Obama and um, Bill Clinton were hard on immigration. Well, that's what they campaigned on. But yes, so I, I think some of the information is a little is a little distorted. So yes, Obama did um, deport more people than George Bush did, but also there was more of a flood of illegal immigration under Obama than had ever happened. And that's why Trump was elected. I remember those caravans coming up. It was almost like a monthly occurrence for the last two or three years of Obama's presidency. So maybe that's what they ran on when they initially got their party's nomination, because that's where the Democrat party was at the time. But I don't think that I, I don't think that I that there's any way to really salvage either party. And I from just from the outside, you know, just the older I get, it, both sides are it's they're basically mafia families that I mean, if you or I give weapons to people, you know, we'd be arrested in 30 seconds. But we're we're spreading war around the world. If you or I are importing a whole bunch of people. Uh, illegally, you know, that's human trafficking. If you or I um, mark, make uh, make states take our pharmaceutical products, we're drug dealers. I, I almost think that they've given up on America and they're just running us into the ground at, at this point because nothing, nothing either side does benefits America at all. Well, I think that there's still enough of a democracy in the United States where a candidate... I'll point out that Trump won. Trump won in 2016. And I think the Democrats are going to lose at the polls in November. I think that they will be defeated. And interestingly enough, with immigration, it's the same person, the same oligarch is behind Ukraine as is behind the push for open borders immigration, and that's George Soros. George Soros, through the International Renaissance Foundation, is behind what's been going on in Ukraine. And George Soros funds 
so many groups that push for illegal immigration. And we're talking about groups like LULAC and MALDEF and uh, 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 I, excuse me, I'm forgetting a couple of names because they're in Spanish. Uh, uh, La, La Casa, I forget, I forget the name. But uh, so many of the major immigration groups, I'll put it like this, the ACLU, the ACLU used to be all over issues like free speech. Back in the 70s, the ACLU was helping promote free speech. The ACLU branch in L.A., their exclusive focus, practically, in the media capital of the world, arguably, New York might bicker, but if the ACLU is focused on protecting the rights of illegal immigrants. And I, I think the point Todd's making is, in fact, and I still see, I hear it on this network sometimes, you hear liberals talk about they derisively call Obama the deporter-in-chief. He's the deporter-in-chief. Well, what do you want to do with illegal immigrants? What's your suggestion? Do you have any suggestion aside from deport them? That's not send them to a concentration camp. That's follow the law. The law is if you come into the country illegally, you get sent out of the country. That's the law in every country on earth. And yeah, I hear people all the time on the left as it's become a standard position to criticize Obama as deporter in chief, which is not a valid criticism. But let's go to another caller. Let's go to our friend Brave in Atlanta. Go to five two one thirteen twenty. Brave, what is on your mind? Yeah, I just wanted to say first, I, I am fast becoming one of uh, Ingrid's biggest fans. Like Ingrid had a call uh, to, to the show, but that comes before you by any means necessary. Um, just her, her call is just awesome, man. And I, um, I just want to say, Ingrid, yo, please keep on doing what you do. Um, but beyond that, um, I, I find it hard to believe. Like I listen to the conversation you guys are having right now, and um, I'm also a fan of our killer's uh, points and calls because he, he's usually very, very much so on point. And I don't, I don't disagree with it, um, what he said in his last call. As a matter of fact, um, I just want to further it. <clears throat> but I would have to say that I just I find it hard to have the conversation of. Um, is there any chance of saving this party or that party or uh, even the, the point of um, uh, there's just enough democracy left, which, which you mean. Nothing against either one of you guys. I'm not trying to be um, aggressive or, or, or disrespectful at all. I'm just saying that I find it hard to have that conversation when it's so clear that we don't really have democracy. I mean, we have an illusion of democracy, but we don't have democracy. Um, I, I, don't, I find it hard to have the conversation about or take the conversation about about uh, illegal immigration and immigration in general, um, seriously, not because it's not a serious conversation or not because the people that I listen to who I respect, uh, such as yourself, are, are or are not making great points. It's just that those are in power. Um, they, they purposely perpetuate these things. And, they could, and it's, 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 it's not rocket science. We all know they could have easily solved these problems a long time ago or at least made some real attempt, but they make no real attempt to. Even the conversation about um, um, about uh, 
health care for all and, you know, benefits for all and but how, how that would affect our society as far as giving free stuff to illegal, uh, illegal immigrants. Well, in the case that we are sending money all across the world, and in this particular case, the light is shined on, um, on Ukraine, we're sending all of that money to Ukraine, right? And we are so far in debt here. I mean, the 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 the, the number is astronomical. I don't think I, I dare anyone to do the math. Um, I think that the money's already being spent. It's just not. It's just not being spent on the citizens of the United States of America. It's, it's, it's the, the people in power aren't working to benefit us. They are not going to, which we all kind of get that drift now, right? But that that point is that that point alone makes it hard for me to take serious any conversation about legal immigration or why or why we can why we can or cannot have health care for all like there's there's no reason to say we can't afford it we're 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 paying for it over and over and over again it's just that we're not benefiting from the money that's being spent so i, I just um and i don't mean to be uh negative nancy but that's the situation I feel that we find ourselves in. It's not that we can't pay for it. It's not that we don't have the funds. It's just that those who we put in power to uh, take care of these things aren't uh, in the business of taking care of or representing us. So I, with that being said, I just don't see that we have a democracy. So there is no saving a party that's not meant to work for you in the first place. Does that make sense? Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk about saving the parties because I think the parties are part of the problem. But I think there's enough democracy. I'll put it like this. If you were in certain districts running for Congress, let's say, as a Republican, you have an advantage already. And I wouldn't say, because do you think, do you think Republicans are going to win Congress over? Do you think, do you disagree with that? Do you think we have so little democracy that the Republicans have no chance of winning? No, they're gonna they're gonna wash the Democrats. Like I am in complete agreement with that. I'm hoping for it. I'm betting on it. Not that I think they're gonna do anything special when they get in, because they never do. Either either side ever does. They just get in and prove how much crazy they are than the last um, than the last uh, run with the, with the other side, right? So yeah, I'm in agreement with you. They're gonna they're gonna they're gonna uh, run a full court press on the Democrats and they're going to wash them. I think so. And I also think it's going to be a while before we see a democratic president again as well. And what I'd say is the techniques of propaganda that these people use, the globalist propaganda have been exposed where there's no excuse for someone not to know it. Not like if, if you were to get elected as a Republican, you know you're going to be called racist. You know they're going to be called crazy. And so the solution is not to be crazy. Is not to is to have a consistent position. And I think part of the problem with Donald Trump is that he was kind of a stunt president. While he had the attributes to win, he did not have the attributes to govern. And I think it is possible. But people need to get serious about it. And that's why I urge urge people not to give up, but to learn to fight better. Want to go to the next call? 202-521-3020. Great call, Brave. Malik in D.C. Go ahead. You're on. Hey there, Lee. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Um, I I wanted to go back to uh, 
and I didn't hear the uh, the full commentary on the uh, the shooting the in New York or, you know, the, the quote-unquote terrorist attack or whatever they're calling it right now. And, and, and I'll even admit, I'm, I, am not, uh, I am not following that situation that closely. Um, but uh, but I, I did want to touch on a little bit that I, I did hear uh, you and Rod uh, talk about. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out, and, and I, I don't know if a lot of people are aware of what's happening on the ground in New York City. Um, when you go, when you go, and, I, and I'm in New York City pretty often now. I have, to, I have to go there pretty regularly because I have family there, and I'm from there. Um, you have, right now in New York City, you have, and I'm sure you're aware of this part, is that there's kind of an army of homeless folks uh, on the streets of New York City. Um, there, and, but I want to get more specific. The, one of the things I haven't seen in my lifetime is the amount of young black men. Uh, and when I say young black men, I'm talking about between the ages of probably, um, you know, 15 to, you know, their, their late 20s, wandering the streets of New York. Um, and the last time I was there, just watching young black men who had nowhere to go and just standing around. And um, not that there's, you know, not always been a serious homeless uh, issue in New York City, but I've never seen, um, I've never seen it the way that it is now, and particularly with young black men. Um, and and so it's 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 uh, it is beyond a crisis um, that aspect of of what's happening in New York City, and I, and I find it interesting uh, that in the past couple of years, you know, around the time of, of, obviously, throughout COVID, there's, you know, there's been this, this kind of, um, you know, targeting of, you know, making uh, young black males the face of, of every crisis that is, that is taking place in New York City. Um, and I'm not saying that there isn't a serious crime issue uh, uh, taking place, uh, but there's also obviously a huge homeless issue uh, that that's taking place as well. Um, which I'm, I'm sure you you got an, you got an opinion on on that, Lee. Well, Malik, it's a great call with a very important topic. I I've been bothered by a homeless situation. And, and thinking about solutions for it. But we don't have time to go into uh, that, but I will bring it up in the next few days, maybe maybe next week, if we don't get to it this week. But the homeless problem is one that needs to be tackled. And the general problem of, of crime and I'll put it like this. I saw a story in L.A. L.A. is facing another serious homeless problem. A lot of our major cities are facing serious homeless problems. And L.A., apparently the new thing is uh, gangs are targeting and following rich people. They're targeting. They find out where they are and they're following them. So we'll talk about that as well, because I think. It's symptomatic of something. But Malik, great call. Thanks so much for that. Let's go to another call because the switchboards are full. 
Let's go to 202-521-1320. Let's go to Keith. Keith, what's on your mind? Lee, always, as always, a great show, great guest. Uh, particularly, I'm talking about the immigration problem and illegal aliens, whatever you want to call them. I think the guy was, was spot on. However, we have to look at some of these problems systemically. As you may recall, one um, uh, Budley, how could I say, one um, General Smedley Butler, who wrote Rich Man's War and Poor Man's Fight, emphasized that his job was to beat the crap out of, suppress anybody that would hurt the profits from the textile industry, pineapples, you name it. Now, what has changed since then? Well, they have come up with a new system. They don't need a military to do it. They put sanctions on these countries if they help the poor. If you have 4 million houses, as Nicolas Maduro has been able to put together, do the math and the correlation, you'll see that from the socialist pink-tied countries, including Guatemala, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Nicaragua, those people aren't leaving. It's the ones that we repress the leadership in if they want to help the needy rather than the greedy. And we ran out uh, General uh, uh, President Soleus in uh, Guatemala because he was, he was supporting unions. And then we have to think about NAFTA. It was a big sucking sound, but you destroy the cash, the, the, the corn farmers who that was their basis for survival. You wiped them out. So I'm not saying that the guest wasn't right. Do you think that's an important component to mention? Thank you. No, great call, uh, Keith. And obviously, the uh, fight is against globalism. And that's why the fight against Ukraine is actually a fight against this global system. And I, I point out the Republicans, politicians have been in favor of illegal immigration. And traditionally, they have. And the reason why is cheap labor. If, if I were to bring up the problems of cheap labor, every Republican I know, I'm talking about voters, the base, they all know you have to stop the employers taking advantage of illegal immigrant help. The base is all on our side. And what we need is a coalition or someone who can unify people from the left and right on those issues. But great call. 202-521-1320. I believe uh, Command Central, who we got? We got Skip. Skip, go ahead. Hey, Lee. Uh, good to hear you back. And uh, let's keep it that way for a minute. Um, thanks for taking my call. Um, I, it's incredibly uncanny because I was calling in exactly on point to what you were just saying, um, in the last call or two, the democratic argument is that we need this labor and that their rationale, I suppose, is Americans don't want these jobs. It's been that way since the fifties or what have you. Um, but what I can't figure out is. It seems to me that we do want those jobs, and Americans would pretty much do anything, but we, we want to be paid well and have benefits and pensions. And um, since that's since the you know corporations know that they don't need to, um, I mean clearly, clearly it's a modern day of 
um, slave labor. And I don't know why that's, uh, and I don't know why any lefty in the world isn't, isn't raising that flag, waving that flag. Well, the, the situation with immigration does not work out well for the workers. And up in Twin Falls, Idaho, one of the things I saw that the, what happened was when the illegal immigrants from South America started to get some protections and asked for rights, they asked for normal work days, for instance, and they asked for better working conditions. They were immediately replaced with refugees from the Middle East and Africa because they said, fine, you want rights. We'll find illegal immigrants from somewhere else. And often those immigrants were refugees from countries where war had been pushed by, by Syria, for instance. So it's the circle of pain. I, I could see where things started. One thing caused another. The wars caused refugees. The refugees became illegal immigrants and, or, or became people using the asylum system to come over here. And they, they ended up in low-paying, crappy-conditioned jobs. And that's why I think it's so important to get people beyond right and left to sane and insane. And I think there is still room for that. But the problem is no one wants to do it. No one wants to be the first to do it. No one wa wants to dare to be the Democrat to say, you know what? I'm a Democrat and I'm in favor of affordable college. I'm in favor of, uh, let's say, uh, uh, single bear, okay. I'll use that example again. I'm in favor of that and I'm in favor of gay rights, but I'm not in favor of transgender athletics. No one wants to be at first because the first Democrat to do that is going to be savage. And by Democrats, they're going to be insulted and treated like Republicans. They're going to be called bigots and everything else. But someone has to do it because a lot of people want it. But they know they can't come out and say that because they'll be attacked. Coming up next, Tom Nichols talking about why people are leaving blue cities on the backstory. on 105.5 FM, AM 1390, with the backstory. This is Lee Stranahan, and I want to say something before we get to Tom Nichols. We'll get to Tom in one second, but I just want to say something personal. Uh, I'm so gratified to the audience and people I work with, producers and engineers on this show, for being uh, gracious 
while I've been going through these difficult health problems, this stroke. And I haven't talked about this aspect of it much, but one of the problems with stroke, it, it affected me more. I've had strokes before, but this affected my speech, obviously, more so than the previous strokes. But the other thing it's affected is my vision. I am basically really blind now. I, I can see, but my it's very difficult for me to read. And so I hopefully you can hear. I think my speech is improving. And I've I've checked with people. I don't want people to be, be, be nice to me. I want people to be honest with me. And I've talked to Rod and I think you can hear my speech is improving, although I'm not 100% where I was before the show. Sometimes when I'm having to get out of a segment or something like that, uh, because I'm forcing myself. See, the other problem is that the way I improve my speech is by slowing my speech down. But my brain worked too fast. And if I'm, and I, I don't mean that in a, in a, in a funny way. I mean, my thoughts get ahead of my mouth. So hopefully you hear improvement in speech, but I appreciate everyone for the kind words and the support they've given me and, and for sticking with the show. I really believe this show is an important show. And thanks to Ingrid for what she said earlier. We have been ahead on issues like Ukraine. And one of the reasons I'm committed to coming back to 100% is I believe the stories we're covering and the way we cover them is truly important. So I just want to take the time to thank everybody for sticking with me through my recovery and hopefully it's paying off for you. Joining us now, writer Tom Nichols and author, multi-book author Tom Nichols. Hey, Tom, how you doing? Hi, Lee. How are you? Um, thank you for your your thoughts regarding your health condition. Um, I think you have a lot of support here. So they were they were well well formed. So yeah, well, well, because part of the problem with the speech thing, for instance is I, I hear myself. So I hear I hear when I'm not as smooth as I could be. Uh, my problem is not articulation so much as it is choppiness, you know, in my delivery. And the difference is I know what I should sound like and what I should be able to do, but I can't. I literally can't. I hear myself saying things and I go, I wish I said that better. And I just, I can't do it, but it's getting easier every day. So thanks a lot, Tom. And Tom, welcome back to the show. You have a great article up at front page and talk about blue cities and why people are abandoning them. Right. Well, I think I know um, Philadelphia best of all, but this is happening all over the nation. As I said in my piece, uh, specifically with my city, <clears throat> I mean, we can talk about we can talk about riots, we can talk about draconian lockdowns, 
which blue cities seem to specialize in. Um, there's crime, there's lack of prosecution. There are simple things like old school parking problems um, <clears throat> on the streets and highways. Every hour is rush hour now. Um, there are more homeless than ever before. In Philadelphia, they have literally taken over the Frankfurt Market L. They inject drugs in public. They, they sprawl out on the floor of the train. Um, shoplifting has become decriminalized. Just uh, yesterday in my local Wawa, I saw a guy with a huge canvas bag go to the Red Bull container refrigerator section and take about 25 as the security guard was outside uh, smoking a cigarette. And when the guard became aware of the theft, he just made kind of a slow walk to catch this guy, quote unquote. But of course, why even bother? Because you can't even prosecute these things. So it, it's all of these little things that have added up to a very, very unpleasant um, um, situation. And of course, one always has to wonder, as I brought up in my piece, that when riots reoccur, because I'm sure, I mean, I would hope that they were a one-time only thing in 2020, but you know that the first social justice implosion that happens naturally, and if it then sets off a chain of demonstration and rioting, um, it'll hit this town as well. And then, um, so I think that cities are, you know, they're the place to be for arts and culture, and this is the split within myself. Um, you know, where do you go for good theater? Where do you go to, like, hear a good lecture? But the city, um, as I've written elsewhere, my city is not the same city as it was in the 70s and 80s and even the 90s. There, There's far less to do. There are far less casual eateries. Um, and things are different. So that's from a um, Philadelphia uh, perspective. Now, what do you think is a solution for this, what they call broken window policing, with the idea being that if you, if you enforce the small laws, the big ones go down as well. So for instance, by not enforcing laws, on shoplifting, you're going to make other criminality rise as well. What do you think about the idea of broken window policing? I think, I think that that one all there's a thread. If you if you don't prosecute shoplifters, um, everything tends to get easier down the line. It's just kind of a logical, um, kind of a follow up thing that happens. Um, yesterday. Um, yesterday morning, in fact, there were six police officers who were trying to bang down the door of a neighbor of mine. Now, she's a very, very peaceful woman, lives with her boyfriend. They were looking for something or someone, and you would have thought that it was a serial killer out there. I mean, um, you talk about overdone and overwrought, and yet on the same day, um, they found no one, by the way. In fact, they had the wrong address. Um, 
Yet on the same day, I was on a bus that soon became swamped and surrounded with hundreds of ATVs and dirt bikes um, that swerved in front of the bus that caused the bus to actually stop. And uh, as I was telling Rod earlier, these ATV invasions used to be, I mean, fairly just straightforward. They never, they never really tried to confront other vehicles, but that's all changed now. Now it's becoming this, this like video game where they, they uh, double dare other drivers and they, they like to sort of take control. But where were the police? Yet uh, no police, no police with, the, with this huge uh, shoplifting incident. But, but to knock on somebody's door looking for a culprit that wasn't even there, I, thought, I find this just uh, really, really queer in the old-fashioned sense of the word. Now, I'll, I'll, well, and, and also, when we, the laws that they're having to enforce sometimes, for instance, lockdowns or people not wearing masks, everyone has seen footage of cops acting like jerks when they stop someone with no mask. So they also seem, it seems like the COVID thing had an effect on this as well. Tom, what do you think? I do. I mean, um, and unfortunately, the COVID and the riots working together, it was a bad chemical blend, and it worked to, to, to change the city. And in some ways, it worked to to change people as well. Uh, uh, we have a new health commissioner here, for instance. Her name is Cheryl Betty Gale or Gole or, or something. And, you know, she's, um, you know, um, while I'm sure she's competent as a medical doctor, you know, but she, she looks like, on the surface, like a long-haired, shaggy, left progressive type. And if you read her bio, uh, the word equity is like repeated a hundred times, so you kind of know where she's coming from. And she just reinstated the mask indoor mandate um, beginning next Monday, April 18th. And, you know, citing COVID cases from the UK, and because of that, she, she said that the health department here is just trying to be cautious because of COVID cases in the UK. I mean, it's this kind of insanity um, that you have to deal with. And, you know, she also quotes like, um, I mean, currently, I, I think there are 46 people currently hospitalized in the city with COVID. 46 people? Um, that's not very many. And then she says that there are at least 142 cases a day, but these are not broken up into, are they overweight? Do they have pre-existing conditions? Are they all diabetic? Or are they normal average people going to work who really have nothing, not too much to worry about? Um, but I just think it's horrendous that she's bringing this back. You know, it's this back and forth thing, back and forth. Um, restaurant restaurant people are very upset about it. Um, and she said something very insulting, I think, about the city. She said, I think that throughout the pandemic, Philadelphia, um, the Philadelphians have shown 
that they are willing to do things that are annoying to take care of each other. So, in other words, you can order Philadelphians to put the mask on and they'll do as they're told. Um, this is the same reason why we've had a uh, democratic control machine in this city for decades. It's why nothing ever changes here. And um, it just... <laughs> um, so, you know, um, I don't know how long this mask mandate is, is going to work, but, I mean, frankly, I don't think too many people are going to follow it. Um, I mean, half the time it's ignored on SEPTA now, and I, I think people have had their fill. So she may get a good dose of, of what Philadelphians have become now because of this thing. I don't know. Now, I'm in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Yeah. And and Sioux Falls, South Dakota is what I would call a small city. It is a city, but and it's got a lot of the advantages of the city. There is some culture here. We have very good coffee shops. We have good independent restaurants. But... There's also a rural element to it. If you you can go outside the city, I can drive 10 minutes, I'm in a rural area. Now, most of the problems I'm seeing, and we talked about before, the problems of homelessness, someone called in about that in New York, Malik called in about that in New York, and I pointed out that in LA, you have the same thing. It seems like a lot of these problems are in the big cities. Are you seeing the same thing? The bigger the city, the bigger the problems. Oh yeah, I mean they're they're all um, generic as far as this problem goes, more or less, and they all seem to copy one another. I mean they're all they're all like shopping malls, like uh, um, uh, architectural design. Uh, you know, um, you don't know whether you're in Iowa or Salt Lake City, or, or the Catskills, because um, a lot of the landscape looks the same. Um, so all the, all the big cities, and you know most of them happen to be blue, um, where these problems occur, because you have all these, all these cultural and policy changes that I feel are just making it worse. Um, I did a piece on how this is affecting arts and culture, in the city, uh, specifically this culture, uh, this city, rather, and something called land acknowledgement uh, statements, where before a, a play um, or a lecture even, the announcer says that this land used to be owned by the Lenai Lenape and it was stolen by settlers or colonizers. And so we want to take a moment of silence to like recognize this and and now this this is happening all over now it's a it's a copy and paste deal um, you hear it at the barns you hear it at the Museum of Art now it's even hit the Museum of the American Revolution which used to be a holdout that has now fallen victim to this uh, politically correct sauerkraut which people just swallow and accept I guess because they're like Philadelphians and they don't mind doing things that are annoying, um, I mean, according to our new health commissioner. Um, so, Well, it also sounds like, forgive me, it also sounds like virtue signaling, literally, because they don't say, 
because this land was stolen, we're not going to do this play here. They go ahead and do the play, but they make the irritating announcement beforehand. So the announcement serves nothing except to be a sort of trailer of guilt and despair to the to play. It it doesn't actually they don't actually do anything. You you agree, Tom? That's true. I um, I call it the new left progressive grace before meals. This like land acknowledgement mania that is sweeping the arts and culture section of the city. Um, um, but um, off to another topic. When you were talking earlier about why can't a Democrat be for gay rights but object to a trans woman competing in the women's sports without being called a transphobe or a homophobe. I mean, this is, this is exactly the problem. Um, in that area, we've become so black and white ideological that you can't disagree with any point. So as you said, it uh, goes beyond left or right. Well, it's why I, I was talking to a, a, a gay friend of mine here in Sioux Falls. And I was saying that when I go to downtown Sioux Falls, I sometimes will see, you know, a, a rainbow banner or a Black Lives Matter banner. And I said, it irritates me less in Sioux Falls than in Washington, D.C. And he said, why? I said, because it seems less virtue signaling. And he said, why? And I said, because it seems to me that's in fact tougher to be gay in Sioux Falls, you know, yeah, I'll put it like this. And he agreed. He agreed. He is there a, a challenge to being gay in New York City, for instance? <laughs> I would I would I would think it would almost be an asset, um, you know, um, because uh, the connections would be good. The, there, there's a network there that is over the moon. Um, you know, big cities are are very supportive, but it doesn't mean that you're going to not meet the occasional crazy homophobe behind a bush or wherever. You know, I, I mean, some people are always going to have issues. No pun intended. I'll just throw that in. But go ahead, Tom. No, no. I mean, you know, there are always going to be people who are going to have issues with uh, sexuality. Because because it's uh, uh, sexuality is a part of themselves and it's very personal, and um, you know people are at different stages of maturity regarding sexuality, and if there's a disconnect within them as to who they are or who they think they are, and then that becomes obvious. You know, it's it's usually the homophobe who screams the loudest who later comes out as gay. So um, I've seen that. I've seen that worked over many times. Well, I was talking to my girlfriend about about these issues, and we were talking about pronouns and the fact that people are supposed to ask first. Before We talked about this on Monday. People are supposed to ask first. And she pointed out that asking a pronoun first, what pronoun do you want to be? you want people to use seems to me to be against the original idea behind 
trans people, which is that you should, it should be obvious what pronoun you use. You know, if 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 you're a a born man and you you present as a woman, they shouldn't have to ask you what what do you want to be called. You're obviously a woman, and that's how you want to be addressed. But by adding this extra layer of BS, and I'll call it that, because how big an issue is the pronoun that you get called? It's insane. Why is that the the demarcation point? Because these people had nothing else to hang their hat on uh, philosophically. Their identity becomes their everything. That's all who they think they are. It's this one thing in temporary time. This, uh, you know, this this. Um, I guess this uh, creation of the cosmic woke narrative. And so these are tenets of a new religion. This is the new orthodoxy. And you'll find that most of these people really don't have a religion. I mean, this is it. This is the the utopian text, and it has to be followed. Um, so it's it's why when when people... Are calling DeSantis's uh, Florida Florida law um, homophobic and outrageous? You have the White House calling it hateful. Um, actually, it's only talking about pre-K, um, the first to the third grade. I mean, this is not even um, LGBTQ youth. These are like just out of a toddler stage um, children, and where trans issues shouldn't even be discussed with them. There shouldn't be a trans third grader who's going to jump off a building because they're not being understood. I mean, it, it, just, get, it, it just gets crazier, and I, and I just hate the way the, the media is interpreting this whole Florida thing as if it's on a par with the Anita Bryant uh, 1977 Save Our Children campaign. It's nothing like that. Um, so we've gotten, <laughs> we have really fallen down a rabbit hole here. Um, I was I was amazed when when uh, CNN was quoting the radical feminist gender theorist uh, Judith Butler, who like 15 years ago. She would never be on CNN because she would be considered far too radical. Now they're quoting Judith Butler like it's, um, I don't know, Ann Landers or, or something. And <laughs> so, but um, I would never call anybody they. I mean, I don't care who would take offense. And I just, I just, I just don't go there. If uh, somebody who is transgender, um, male to female, for instance, I might I might call them she in certain circumstances, but I'm certainly not going to applaud their participation in uh, biological female sports. I mean, um, you know, and I don't care whether I'm called a transphobe or not. That really is not an issue for me personally. And that's why it's very telling. I think Caitlyn Jenner came out against transgender athletics and was attacked for it. Yeah. 
the 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 advance guard of the trans lobby they're very 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 vehement and very very strong willed and um you know so but um you know, I, I don't know. I, I think too many people object to this. I, I think this may be the last, the last line in the sand here. I, I can't see that going over into full acceptance, where you're going to have six foot five guys with big shoulders and huge limbs um, competing with uh, biological women. And I, I agree. Great conversation, Tom Nichols. Thanks so much. To our guests in the first hour from the Center for Immigration Studies. And we will be back tomorrow on the backstory. Mm-hmm.